Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. So good to be with everyone right now. My favorite time of the week. Pressured, but not stressed. Think about that a moment. Pressured, but not stressed. Pressure is not something that's new to our generation. Right now, we're living in a world that is clearly, undoubtedly heaving under the weight of very real pressures, including extreme economic pressure, obviously. And well, we're seeing it before our own eyes in the USA and then really around the globe. Things are so raw right now when it comes to racial things and so many people, including people in our own church right now, some of their own experiences have been brought to the fore. So there's many, many different types of pressure. And there are many people right now who are part of this broadcast or this church service who are under the weight of that pressure right now. I know in church life, the seasons of life, there's always, well, one person rejoicing over an incredible victory. Another is weeping over some very real pain. And I know that's true right now. We've seen people miraculously get work when it seems the trend is people losing jobs and businesses prospering when many others are feeling the pain. And it affects our church and it affects believers and it affects people all over the world. Of course, the Apostle Paul served God and lived in a constant atmosphere of pressure, perhaps pressure more intense than any of us will ever experience. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 8 and 9. He said, We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength. Listen to that, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. In chapter 1, verse 8 in the NIV, same verse, he said, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Paul talks about pressure in terms of, well, something that was great. In other words, intense. And something he and they were under relentlessly. And he used those words, far beyond our ability to endure. In other words, he was at breaking point. Maybe you're at breaking point. Maybe right now you think this is more than I can endure. My heart goes out to you. But listen to what Paul says in verse 10. He said, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set a hope that He will continue to deliver us. Listen to that. He has delivered us He will deliver us and He will continue to deliver us. I love His confession. He has, He will, and He will continue to deliver us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, He said, we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I saw one translation I really liked instead of perplexed, but not in despair. It said puzzled, but not bamboozled. I just like that word. 
bamboozled. What a cool word. Well, if I was bamboozled right now, maybe I wouldn't like that word so much. Another translation said, struck down, but not struck out. Here's one more. As we think about pressure, listen to the pressures that Paul speaks of again for himself and his fellow apostles. He said in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 and 28, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. In other words, one lash from certain death. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city and in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked beside everything else. I face daily I like this part. On top of all that, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. <laughs> yep, even being involved in church leadership has plenty of pressure sometimes. Here's three things, and I want you to really take note that I believe pressure will put to the test. And the first of those three things is this, the perspective test. Pressure will always test your perspective. That's why I love the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. They were an amazing example when it came to financial pressure. You see, in those days, Macedonian times, in Bible times, it was a time of extreme economic crisis. It was a time in which the people were described as living in overwhelming poverty. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given you for the Macedonian church. Out of their most severe trial, their overwhelming joy and their extreme poverty wound up in rich generosity. I don't think you usually put those things together. Overwhelming joy and extreme poverty. What was their secret? Those Macedonians obviously had a sense of perspective that doesn't come naturally to people. To think that they could put those two things and they weld up together, overwhelming joy, extreme poverty. It's almost like an oxymoron. In other words, they gelled together, were in sync and weld up together in rich generosity. They saw no reason to stop being generous, which I find an amazing challenge. I ask myself, is my generosity subject to my situation? You see, I believe that generosity is a way of seeing, a way of thinking, and a way of living. It's not seasonal, and it's not based on our situation. And I believe the one thing that will be tested when you are facing pressure is your perspective. Sadly, at times when the pressure is on, there are people who completely lose all perspective. But there's others who allow pressure to give them perspective on what really matters, what really counts, what's really important. I remember, as most of you do, or many of you do, the global financial crisis very well. 
I was reading some real life story from the USA of people who had completely lost all perspective under the pressure of that crisis and the way it impacted them. They lost perspective in a way where hopelessness had completely overwhelmed them. It was in 2008 and these were stories I was just reading now in Tennessee, a woman fatally shot herself as sheriff's deputies came to evict her from her foreclosed home. Pamela Ross, she was 57 and her husband were fighting foreclosure on their home when sheriff's deputies came to serve her with an eviction notice. They were across the street when they heard a gunshot and found Ross dead with a wound to the chest. What was even more tragic was the couple had just been granted an extra 10 days to appeal, but hopelessness overwhelmed her. Well, these are obviously very tragic examples, but it's easy to lose perspective under pressure when our perspective is not based on a proper foundation. Paul described Jesus as the chief cornerstone. I hope that's true in our lives. Our perspective, when it comes from the Word of God, changes the way we see everything and respond to everything. And whether or not we stay planted. So I'm talking about three things that pressure will test. The first was the perspective test. There's no doubt that pressure tests perspective. And the second is the priority test. So let me start with the question. What would you consider are the non-negotiables in your life? And what are the negotiables in your life? When people react to pressure, what human nature tends to do is start adjusting our priorities according to the pressure. The pressure, not our priorities, become the head and not the tail. And it's the wrong way around. It's the difference between reacting and responding. If I respond to the challenges, not react, what I do under pressure is first and foremost, I determine my priorities and then make adjustments according to those settled priorities. So my priorities stay the same, they're the non-negotiable, but I make adjustments to my settled priorities. That's when I respond, but when I react, I start adjusting my priorities. Responding says, I've set my priorities and whatever adjustments I make are according to those priorities. I don't think there's anything like pressure to highlight what's your true non-negotiables. There's nothing like pressure to test, not what we say we believe, but what we actually believe. It's the same for me as it is for you. In Acts 5, the followers of Jesus, Peter and the apostles were under huge pressure and they were under huge opposition. They were preaching the gospel and had already seen the inside of a prison cell because of their faith. So in this chapter, Acts chapter five, God delivers them from the jail, but they were soon apprehended again. They didn't resist and they were brought before the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin were definitely not known for their sense of humour. They were not happy chappies at all. So they're brought before the Sanhedrin and ultimately before the high priest who says, we forbade you from preaching under this name, the name of Jesus. He said, we forbade you. But listen to what they said. They showed their priorities. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, as I mentioned, they knew their priorities were fixed and they said, we must obey God rather than man. Notice the word must. We must obey God rather than man. That word must is a compelling word. 
It comes from a short Greek word with only three letters in it. And it has a sense of compulsion. In other words, we've got no choice. The idea was it was a non-negotiable. We must. So easy to start to adjust your priorities in the face of tough times. But if that's the season you're in right now, can I encourage you to set your non-negotiables? What are your priorities? What is not gonna change? Set the musts in your life and make whatever adjustments you need to make according to those priorities. That would be my encouragement to you. For many, I'm sure, there's a time of belt tightening. I mean, for our church, we just had board meetings this week. It's a time of belt tightening. <laughs> right now, I don't have a belt on because it was just too tight. <laughs> just got to put a little bit of humour in there. But let's not draw back on the very thing the Lord says to do first or put first. It's a priority test. If I, Brian Houston, have to make adjustments in my life, I ask myself, what would I adjust first? Would it be honouring God and putting Him first? Hope not. Maybe I'm a Foxtel subscription, but that means having to do without the sports and the news and the Hillsong channel. Maybe my Netflix. I've never watched so much Netflix as I have recently. <laughs> or I wonder if it would just be not eating out quite as much. Well, come to think of it, that's been easy enough up to now as well because the restaurants had not been open. Will it be downscaling my holidays? I know people in our church and more than one couple who had their holidays planned out. They were heading for Italy. Well, Italy is out of bounds right now because of this virus and we pray for Italy. But I wonder when it comes to adjustments, will it be my commitment to honouring God and putting Him first? I certainly hope that's a priority that Bobby and I set a long time ago. How cool that when it comes to God taking priority, taking the number one position in our lives, He says, prove me now in this. Try me out, test me. When it comes to honouring Him, He's saying, here's a chance to put it to the test. If ever there's a time for God to be proved in your life, it's in tough times, under pressure. Prove me now in this, Malachi 3 says. See if I want to open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing, there'll not be room enough to receive it. Or as other translations say, to contain it. I pray that I'll never forget that God never blesses for containment anyway. He blesses you and He blesses me to have an impact well beyond ourselves. He blesses so that yes, the necessities in our lives can be met, but even more so that we can reach out beyond ourselves and be a blessing. Why does God even care about your finances? Some people think He doesn't. Does He really care for a moment about money? Some people would say not. Well, He cares for you and He's commissioned you to live a meaningful and a significant life. And He cares that His Word is working in your life. If we think about it practically, if you have nothing when it comes to need, then there's not a whole lot you can do. If you have a little, you can help a little. But if God blesses you with a lot, there's a whole lot of difference you can make. I look at the story and the testimony of our church and God's incredible grace and the favour He's given us over many, many years and the opportunities and the influence 
that we have. And I see how God has blessed us with a lot, but it also equips us to be able to do a lot, including Hillsong Channel and this and that and our worship and so many other ways that we're reaching people. Listen to the message translation because it's such a powerful promise. It's Malachi 3 verse 10. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. For my part, I will defend you against marauders, protect your wheat fields and vegetable gardens against plunderers, the message of God of the angel armies. You'll be voted happiest nation. You'll experience what it's like to be a country of grace. God of the angel armies says so. If you're a kingdom builder, and believe me, there's no better time to be about God's kingdom than when you're under the hammer and under the test. I pray that we as a church will pass the perspective test with an A plus on our report card and that we will pass the priority test with flying colours too. I pray that you will do that in Jesus' Name. I fully recognise that some people, their reality has changed a fair bit and that's fully understandable. But you know what? There are times when amounts may change, but priorities, they stay the same. The third pressure test, I call the leadership or ownership test. It is the test of ownership, taking responsibility and understanding accountability. See, in my notes here, I initially wrote the character test, but I crossed it out because character is something that's maybe proven even more on the mountaintop. When I'm on the mountaintop and flying high, when I'm living from a place of success, that's the biggest test there is on my character. When I'm in the valley, that's when I've had to draw the most from my leadership and at times challenge my lack of ownership and quit my excuses. And that's really what I believe this test is right here. The pressure test of leadership and ownership. See, I believe every believer is called to live the life of a leader, which is to live a life of example to others, taking responsibility and stewarding well what God has entrusted you with, what God has put in your hand. Never just think of a leader as him up there on the platform or her up there on the platform. And don't think of it as that person through the screen right now. Yes, I'm a church leader, but you're a leader. Think of a leader as you, as a believer living the kind of life, facing the challenges, facing the pressure with the kind of example that inspires people to follow. It's a leadership test when pressure comes your way and leadership always takes responsibility. It all starts with leading our own life well, stewarding our own life well, taking ownership. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and 18. It says, Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And then the challenge, verse 18, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. It's talking about the propensity of us humans, in this case, Israel, taking all the credit for what God has done and is doing in our lives. Think about honour and credit. 
Honor is something you give. Credit is something you take. It's all because of me. It wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. You know, when God does bless abundantly and people start taking credit for the position they're in in life, the Word of the Lord was now remember that it is He who gives you the power to get wealth or to get blessing or to find the perfect partner in life. You see, when we start taking it to ourselves, we become self-reliant. And it's self-reliance that takes credit. And being self-reliant means you're not relying on God and trusting Him and depending on the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you honestly, that's a dangerous place to be. Usually the person who quickly takes the credit in life for wins and successes is also the quickest to give blame when things start going wrong. If we really take ownership, we're the stewards of our lives, including our finances. And I trust God and believe God to be the provider, your provider. As long as you're blaming, there's not that sense of responsibility and that sense of accountability that will actually empower you to make the changes and move on. And the reason is because there's a sense of powerlessness and blame. It's not my fault. It's this or it's that. It's the stock market. It's, it's the situation. It's the government. It's my wife or it's my husband. You see, ownership says, my life is my responsibility. We're stewards. I understand God is the ultimate owner. I take ownership of my decisions. I can't change what I can't change, but I must change what I can. I'm talking about my own life. Those things God's called me to steward. I believe that the accountability of ownership is the foundation and the platform for you to move forward, right, wrong, or indifferent. When I ride my motorbike, I ride it with that in mind. I say, any accident that happens is my fault. It changes the way I ride my motorbike. I don't presume this car will give way when he's supposed to give way. I presume that maybe he might not. In other words, I take responsibility to avoid every situation where an accident could happen. By God's grace, so far, so good. And I'm believing that it'll stay that way. But obviously, if someone hit me and it's clearly their fault, it'd be easy to just point the finger and blame, but it might not save my life. See, we just take responsibility. I believe somehow empowers you to make a way forward. But as long as you take no responsibility, or I take no responsibility, we blame and we excuse. That's what I mean by the leadership test. That's what I mean by the ownership test. I just believe that we need to live our lives in a way where we don't quickly blame and we don't always take the credit. You see our church, Hillsong Church in Australia, actually anywhere, we're almost 37 years old. And sometimes it amazes me when I hear people taking credit for different parts of that journey. I just get amazed at what we're capable of saying to ourselves. I'm not talking about people who maybe even deserve a little bit of the credit. The people I'm talking about, well, they talk themselves into believing. Let's be honest, it's human nature. I did that, that was me. <laughs> that was my idea, etc. Don't worry about who gets the credit. I wanna concern myself with giving honour. Remember, honour's something you give, credit's something you take. And always give God the glory. To the God be the glory, 
great things he has done. Oh, I could sing it, but I'm resisting today. Being a good boy. Hey, by the way, I didn't get any calls when I said last weekend in church that I do weddings, I do funerals. You know, if you ever need a singer, if you ever had a birthday party, I'm, I'm available. <laughs> hey, leadership takes ownership and takes responsibility. Leadership is always learning. There's always a lesson to be learned. I'll never forget interviewing Bishop T.D. Jakes at Hillsong Conference. He's so incredibly articulate, every word that came out of his mouth left me saying, wow. I had to focus hard on thinking about the next question because I was still pondering his profound answer to the last question. But I'll never forget one of the things that he told me. He said, my mama told me that life is a university. Every day, she would say, when you wake up in the morning, make sure you go to school. She didn't actually mean go to school. She was talking about the university of life and every day wake up and learn the lessons, go to school. In other words, there's always something to learn and especially when you're under pressure. Leadership, taking ownership of your life, learns the lessons and owns it. It doesn't focus on what you can't change, but quickly identifies what you must change. You don't have to keep learning the same lessons. You know, we all, we all make mistakes, all of us. But the saddest thing is when people don't learn. When the pressure of life comes your way and you decide to take ownership. If the stresses are mounting up for you right now, here's what I want to encourage you to do as I come to an end. Firstly, take stock. What's the worst thing that could happen? Maybe that sounds like a negative, but I don't think so because usually the worst thing that could happen is not as bad as you think. In the very early days of our church, I'd get all stressed about different things. Maybe we had a bad weekend or a tough season and I, you know, I got hurt by what someone said. And I'd ask myself that question because somehow it helped me. I'd say, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? What if nobody came to church anymore? And then I'd decide, well, if that's the worst, look at the bright side. We could start again. Even now, I'm young. I'm still full of vision. And I still have my health by the grace of God. I used to get so stressed out about what the newspaper said. But the big lesson I've learned is just keep trusting God. Just keep going. And let God look after His church. He's very good at it. He has looked after His church. And He does look after His church. The worst is not as bad as you think. Even for Job, his expectation was so low. But when he finally took stock, he saw that God was at work. He said, I'd heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. He took stock. He saw that God was at work and redemption came and God's ultimate blessing abundantly flowed. And he ended up with twice as much as you'd ever had before. There's always someone else in the world that's worse off than I am and worse off than you are. In days gone by, I've been numbers of times with Bobby to Kampala and to Uganda. I even now can see a vision of the one and only time I went to the baby clinic at Watoto. So we're seeing babies that have been left on a doorstep, left in rubbish bins, literally, sometimes found under a bush or under a piece of paper. And the truth is that it's the real world for some people. 
Let's not lose perspective. Let's take stock. Maybe without wanting to downplay your pain at all, it's not as bad as you think. God's got a way of turning anything and everything around. Number one, take stock. Number two, have a plan. We speak a lot about vision in our church. I speak a lot about vision. But a vision can be out there, ethereal. Thank God for a spiritual vision. But vision is always at its best when it's accompanied by a practical plan. In tough times, you need a plan. Even an unrighteous steward in Luke lost his job. But this is what the Bible says, he resolved what to do. He had a plan. Those three lepers, men, they were in trouble. They desperately needed supplies. They were out from the camp. The camp was filled with marauders and people were out to get them. And they say, if we stay here, we're going to die. If we go up to the camp, we die. They're like, we're going to die. Let's go up. And God protected them and delivered them. They had a miraculous, miraculous deliverance. Well, number three, have a steadfast commitment that you're a person of faith and prayer. I think that's a non-negotiable. At times when you face pressure and specifically financial pressure, can I encourage you to remind yourself of the Word of God? Have it in your spirit that it's not time to draw back from the Word of God. Have it in your heart. Have it in your mouth. For all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. Let it be so. Let it be so. Let it be so. God's promises are amen. The Word says, having done all, you shall still stand. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul again in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, where I began. Listen to it. He's speaking about the name of the Lord God. He said, He has delivered you. He will deliver you and He will continue to deliver you. Do you believe it? Can I speak it into your spirit? Can I speak it into your life? He has delivered you. He will deliver you and He will continue to deliver you. In Jesus' Name, and if you believe it, in your home, in your lounge room, on the side of the road, in the car, wherever you are right now, let out a hearty amen. Come on, couples, families, give me an amen. Let's be in church for a moment. In our services, we always give people an opportunity to make a choice in your life for Jesus Christ. It's so simple to do and yet so eternal in its power. The Bible says if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. A new day, a new beginning. The very best thing you could do right now, anyone, anyone who's listening to my voice, is make a choice for Jesus. And if your life is under pressure, effectively falling apart, just call out to Jesus. He loves you. He's for you. He's on your side. I just want to encourage you right now to pray a prayer with me. And it's a prayer of faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, to speak these words. I'll pray it quite slowly. And as you pray in your own heart, in your own spirit, I believe today will be the most pivotal moment 
in your life. You pass from death to life. You pass from the old to the new. What a beautiful, beautiful opportunity it is. Wherever you are, anywhere in the world, pray this prayer with me right now. If you've been away from God, you just lost your way spiritually. He never moved. He never does move. He loves you. But what a beautiful day to come back to Jesus in the center of your life. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, this is the moment I make my choice, my decision to give ownership of my life to you. Lord, I confess my need of you. I am a sinner like all humanity. But right now, Lord, I believe you forgive my sins. You come into my life. You can heal my brokenness and you give me a brand new start. Lord, I thank you. I declare it. I'm a child of God. I'm a new creation, a follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for your forgiveness and mercy. I am a believer. Jesus is alive in me. Amen. You know what, our congregation, if we were together physically now, they would be giving you the biggest cheer and the biggest applause. But you know why? Simply because lives are being transformed. And I pray that for you. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.